Welcome, Julia Spicer. Thank you for coming on the For the Creatives podcast. Thanks for having me, Elisha. Happy to be here. So before we get started, I have one question. So if you could have any fictional character as a business partner, who would it be? Oh, my goodness. And why? Um, who would it be and why? Look, this might be random, but who's the guy out of Get Smart? You know, the, yes. you know the, the character, the agent, for a couple of reasons. Or somebody like Mr Bean, which maybe is a really bad example <laughs> of who I would have and that maybe is an insight into my weird and wonderful brain. But, but I think, you know, if we think about characters like that, they always end up where they wanted to be yeah. in the end. They often are unaware of the chaos that they've created around them. So this mm. is maybe who my fictional character is in the business. Maybe I need the exact opposite of them because I feel like sometimes <laughs> that's probably what I bring to the table. But I think, you know, we, we look at some of those characters and it might not have been a perfect way to get where they wanted to go. Yeah. There might have been a little bit of chaos. There was often a few laughs along the way, but they knew where they wanted to be and, and that's where they kind of got to. So that's probably some of what I bring to the table. So I maybe need the exact opposite of that Yeah. in in the sense of I need somebody super organised and somebody who can see the future and how we should get there. So that would be yeah. one of the – maybe that's one of the – who's the guy in the wheelchair out of – What movie? With Wolverine and everybody. Oh, yes. I might need that guy. I'm forgetting names right now. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean though. I know who you mean. Somebody um, listening will be able to tell us who it is. <laughs> the guy in the wheelchair who can see the future and yes. can help everybody get there. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that. <laughs> I haven't even thought about that question myself much. So I want to touch on soon just a bit of what you do so people are aware who maybe don't know. But what are you passionate about? Because at the end of the day, you know, we might wear different hats, do different things. But at the core of it, there's hopefully something that's, you know, driving a bit of that. What's that for you? Yeah, I love this question. So what I'm passionate about and what drives me and has driven me really my whole life now that I've had some time to reflect on it and people ask me these kinds of questions. Um, but contributing to something bigger than myself is yeah. one of my real drives. Where and how that looks is sometimes a little bit different, but there's a couple of common areas, I guess, Elijah. So for me, I grew up in a really small community and the concept was that we were all part of making it better for everybody else. Yeah, there I love were that. A half a dozen or a dozen families and and so not only did individuals in one family need to help others, but what, what my family was doing needed to help you and your family. And so this piece of contributing to something bigger than our own family unit was a very early foundational value that I learnt. And it's probably only been in recent years that I've realised how important that is yeah. because it is not useful, helpful or sustainable in my personal opinion for only one part of the community to be doing well. Yeah. So that one part of the community could be uh, city people, in comparison to regional people, it could be men instead of women, it could be non-Indigenous instead of Indigenous. So, so for me, my passion is to make sure that we are all contributing to a community and we're all part of something that's bigger than ourselves. Yeah. And then my passion piece around that is making sure that I can help add voice, so not speak on behalf of others, but create a space where other voices can be heard yeah. and I can use my values, position, etc., to be able to create a space of voice for other people. 
Yeah, I love that. And what you were just saying at the beginning there, so having that com- sense of community and that community spirit, not just an individualistic. Um, yeah, that's so good. So how does that look in what you do at the moment? What do you do? Sure. So I do a few different things. If I talk about my own business or, or businesses that I'm part of, what I do in my consulting business is I help people work out their idea and then I help them resource it. So yeah. I help them around what is it that they really want to do to live their mission and then how do they fund it or how do they get somebody else to help fund it? So that might be a not-for-profit organisation, it could be a social enterprise, it could be a sole trader. Who yeah. I help changes every different day. Uh, but what I help them with is what's their idea, how they're going to make sure that they can implement it and how they're going to resource it. Yeah. Um, so that's my consulting business. I take that into some work in my own community at Gundawindi around making sure that small business has space to grow and flourish. And so that looks like co-working spaces, that looks like retail hubs, that looks like shared business space where individually everybody pays a little amount of rent to be able to really grow their business. And we've seen dozens of businesses come into our spaces, trial their business, grow their business, build their training, build their staff, and then move to a bigger space in town, take on the rent of a vacant building, look at another way to do things. Yeah. So that's certainly in my in my day jobs, I do that. And then in I sit on a couple of boards and very much it's around making sure that we have good process and good guidelines or good boundaries for what it is that we want to do. So I sit on the board of Motherland Australia, basically looks at providing support providing support remotely to new mothers around Australia so if you're living in some far-flung part of the country and you don't have access to a mother's group after you've had a baby there's a whole lot of research that shows that that's not good for you as the mother for your child and for your family unit and so we really make sure that people can come together and find their support online we do a whole range of work in that space and I sit on the board of that and again that's because you know I believe in I believe in everybody across Australia having access to what they need to be able to do the things that they need and that includes mothers and new mothers around Around Australia being able to be supported and so again all of this I, I take into the role now of chief entrepreneur you know yeah. uh, we need to be connected people need to know quickly and easily how they can find people who can help them do work we need to be able to make sure that you as a younger person in the innovation ecosystem can can connect to whoever it is that you need to be how do we take the hierarchy out of it a little bit and how do we really help around this connection how do we help both the planet and people be resilient and how do we really look at what's the impact that we want to make because more money or money for the sake of it is not really something that is of interest to me yeah, moving away from that like extreme capitalism mindset. And yeah, that's so good. It's got us here. Yeah. It won't get us there. Yeah, yeah. So just touching on the chief entrepreneur role, do you mind for anyone that doesn't know, hmm. what what is that role? Why is it there? And what does it look like for you? Yeah, sure. So we are one of two states in Australia that has a chief entrepreneur. Queensland was the first state to establish this chief entrepreneur role about seven or eight years ago. We've had five chiefs, so I am the fifth. I'm the second woman and the first regionally based chief entrepreneur. And South Australia also has a chief entrepreneur, an office of the chief entrepreneur. Yeah. Um, And so the role really is to 
champion and advocate for the innovation ecosystem, to be a cheerleader across Queensland, across industry, uh, across the ecosystem to really be able to champion and advocate for innovation. Now, that's a lot, right? So what each chief has been able to do is really focus in on what's a priority for them. We can't be all things to all people in the time frame that we have. So I've got 18 months in the role. I'm in it through until June 2024. And it's a voluntary role. So I'm meant to spend about two days a week doing it. I'm sure you spend a bit more. I feel like I spend about eight and a half days a week doing it at the moment, but that's my choice. So the role is around championing and advocacy. Yeah. What we then do with it is different for each of us. And I kind of just mentioned for me, it's around connection, impact, resilience. They're the pieces for me that are really important that we can focus on and the conversations that I can bring to the table that are slightly different from those chiefs before me. But I think that's the richness of the innovation ecosystem. It is so different for for all of us. And so we're all going to bring our spin on it. Yeah, that's amazing. That's so good. I love how like pretty much everything you're doing is aligned with your values and you know who you are and what you're passionate about with that Gundawindi it's a regional or is it class regional yep regional community how big is it and then after that what is like one of the challenges I guess that you see the communities maybe facing Really good question. So Gundawindi is, the town itself is a population of about 6,000 and there's about 12,000, I think, across the whole shire. And it's we're predominantly an agriculture-based shire. We have every form of agriculture and we have irrigation and dry land. So it means that there's a really strong base, but a diverse base of agricultural-based businesses and services. So we're very lucky from a regional perspective to have quite a low age demographic of people and a highly skilled demographic so so that's really important in terms of then some of the innovation that comes out of our region and that that does set us aside a little bit from other communities I moved to Gundawindi for a three-month contract about 16 years ago what got me there was it's a regional community it's got a strong indigenous history there and a, and a strong Indigenous population and, and I think that's really important to me when we're talking about diversity of thought, making yeah, sure everybody's yeah. heard, you know, I think that's really important and it's far enough away that it can really create its own culture. We're not too close to a big city that, that we kind of lose in, everybody in the on the weekly. Yeah. Uh, so that that's why I really appreciate it. Um, and so then, but in terms of the challenges or in terms of some of the things that we have going on there, not dissimilar to other regions, right? Yeah. What's the workforce that we need? What's the skill set that we need? How do we make sure that when we're employing people, the work from home or the work remotely is fantastic unless we're having to employ people in more urban centres who work for regionally based communities. And then what that means is we've got a whole lot of salaries that aren't being spent in our smaller community regions. So on the back of an envelope, I reckon there's about $2 million worth of salary across Gundawindi that gets spent outside of the region that could get spent there, but we can't get people there. We can't attract them to move and live there. Yeah, okay. Housing's an issue, all of the rest of it, not dissimilar to what other communities would say. But I think this piece of how do we genuinely encourage people into the community is really important and so then one of the challenges is I think we need to make sure that we can just check if we're actually as welcoming to new people as we think we are we often will say in regional communities we're really welcoming we want everybody to move here and we want everybody to call this place home and sometimes that might be what we think but what 
what actually that looks like to the outside world is, is sometimes a couple of different things. And, and I think this piece around what does a welcoming community look like yeah. and what do we need to do um, is, is often a space where we can do some more work, I reckon. Just on that really quickly, in Bundaberg, where I'm based, there's two amazing ladies, one Gail and two sisters, Gail and Angela, and they do a few different things. But one of the initiatives they've just launched is called Welcome to Bundaberg. Have you heard of that? No. So I don't know all the ins and outs of it. And obviously it takes a whole community and uh, approach to have that welcoming culture. But the the part that they're playing with this initiative is creating these sort of like this package and this sort of, not program I'd call it, I think, but package and connecting them into community, community support, services, businesses, if they're looking for work, like if, you know, two, a a couple or family are moving and one of them has work, but the other one needs it, how can they link them into existing people in the community and council? So I think that's amazing. I just wanted to mention that as well. That's something that's happening there. Yeah, I'll definitely be looking into that. That's great. So where... I always dislike the question, where do you see yourself in five years? I'm not going to ask that because sometimes I barely know, but I think it's good to have a vision for the future though. But where where do you want to go? Keep on doing what you're doing now. Like what what do you want to do? Yeah, really good question. So, so as I said, I'm in this chief entrepreneur role until June 2024. What I have noticed in the last six months of being in this role is that there are a lot of decisions made for regional people by people who might have visited the regions but have very rarely lived in the regions. And I find that a really big concern, actually. So I would much rather people do things with me rather than for me or to me. Yeah. And more importantly, I'd actually rather do it by by myself or by the community. So I think we need to be really clear around who is making decisions and who is part of that decision making. And so one of the things that I will be doing, and hopefully in five years we've got a really good footprint across rural and regional Australia, is is with a friend of mine, Joe Palmer, where we're starting a new business because that's what I do and we're calling it the connection table and what that's doing is ensuring that regional people across Australia have a chance to find a seat at the decision making table in government community and industry because what we what we need is a strong viable and vibrant Australia yeah. and that won't happen if we don't have more diversity at the decision making table And a big piece of that diversity is also that they're people represented from all over the country, not only capital cities or not only large regional centres. And so this piece of the connection table is is really making sure that we can build a cohort of rural and regional people who are keen to look at what their role might be in a leadership space at a business, community or government level. Uh, that we can provide that sort of scaffolding and support for people who might want to move into those kinds of roles and don't know how to or don't have somebody who they can recognise yeah. uh, and, and start to share some more stories. So looking at how do we get stories from people who have made it to a decision-making table, how did they get there, what did they do, who helped them and how do we make sure that other people are hearing about that. Yeah. I'm very grateful to be the first regionally-based chief there's about a dozen or 13 chief roles across the Queensland government I don't want to be the first I don't want to be the last I'm happy to be the first I don't want to be the last so how do we make sure that these roles of advocacy and championing can be can be based all over the state 
So that's where you'll see me continue to play more of a role because now that I've spent more time in Brisbane and more time with decision makers, I realise that quite often I'm still the only regionally based person in the room Yeah. and yeah. not to take away from the intelligence of others, but that's not good enough. We need, yeah. we need more of us in the room making decisions about our future. Yeah, otherwise there is that disconnection. And talking about stories about how people got to the decision making table or where they are at the moment, how did you... Step into the role of Queensland Chief Entrepreneur. Mm, It's a really good question. So I am going to take it back a couple of steps. I was asked to speak on a a panel at an event in Toowoomba uh, six or seven years ago probably now. I was asked to speak on a panel about small businesses and how what were the challenges and opportunities in regional areas. I said yes to, to, to that and in that room was somebody who had a position of influence and some decision making power in the Queensland government and they approached me to join or nominate to join the Queensland Small Business Advisory Council. And that supports the work that the Small Business Commissioner does and and looks at a range of different programs and and kind of acts as a sounding um, sounding board for Queensland Government. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. I was on that board for quite a while as a regional voice to this Small Business Advisory Council. And when my time was up for that, I had met some other people uh, who had helped me and really uh, offered me an opportunity to be around different tables, speak at different events, be part of different activities. And and what then happened was I was invited to join the Innovation Advisory Council. Now, at that stage, I was not sure that was really my jam. I see myself as a small business person. You know, you've heard me say a couple of times, I didn't think I was entrepreneurial. I thought I was scrappy and loud, you know, so I didn't necessarily see me in the innovation ecosystem. I didn't think that was my jam. And after speaking to a few people about the role on this Innovation Advisory Council, I thought, no, no, this is a good space for me to be and I think I've got some value I can add. And again, I'm the only regional person at the table. I need to step into this. This is a short story long, Elijah, but one of the things as the previous chief entrepreneur was finishing his time, there were some conversations and it's a ministerial appointment. So the minister has to suggest it and the premier has to approve it. But I think it, it's it's the time at the moment to have a different voice in this yeah. sort of a role. And so I think, you know, I've been at the table, I've been saying the same thing for ages. Yeah, I bring yeah. a different voice. I represent different people to to the past chiefs. I represent different voices to some of the other programs that government runs. And I think now is the time with a lot of the conversations that are happening that I am the right voice to have in this role at this time. Yeah. And so I, yeah, I'm really happy to, to do the role and I hope that at the end of my time in the role, what some of my legacy is that People do feel part of an innovation ecosystem if they didn't think before. They do see where they fit in the broader innovative business base of Queensland. They do have more connections into Queensland government. You know, they have had a chance to travel and be at festivals like we're all at this week at Tropical Innovation Festival in Cairns. There's some really, that they can see some really practical ways in which we've been able to support them do whatever it is that they want to do. I love that. And it sounds like there's a really bright future ahead for some of the stuff you're doing, but also just for a lot of us in regional areas in Queensland and rural. Yeah, that's amazing. And I think on Monday it was that Baden Uren, he was talking about 
the innovation ecosystem and he was talking about trust and the elements of trust and he mentioned integrity as one of those key aspects and you know people showing up and doing what they say they're going to do and I think from afar I haven't known you long but even from conversations with other people that have I think you've had that like you've been showing up like you're saying at the table it's saying the same thing but yeah I think that's that's yeah important oh, thank you that's that's really lovely feedback I'm really appreciative of that thanks I have one question for you before we start to wrap up I like to think that we all have a a superpower or a few superpowers, you know, our key strengths that we're really good at. Sometimes it can be hard for us to identify our own one, but what do you think is your superpower, the thing that you're really good at? Yeah, I think I am really good at uncomplicating complicated stuff. So I think I'm really good at getting the complexity of a situation and then trying to pull that apart to, to make it less complicated for people to buy into. So whatever that looks like or, you know, somebody's got a problem, well, let's pull that apart to see what it actually is. So I will say that I'm good at uncomplicating the complicated and I think I'm a super connector. I'm really generous with my networks and I really want to help people and connect people who I think will be able to continue to do good in the world. And so a super connector and uncomplicate the complicated are my two superpowers. I love that because we're there's too many of us. Sorry, my voice is going. I love that. There's too many of us who are good at complicating simple things as well. And the connection part, like I met you here at the Tropical Innovation Festival, like around this time last year. And I was, you know, one of the first conversations I had with you, you pulled out your phone, you're already trying to like make a connection after you're hearing what I was doing. And that stuck with me as well, just that encounter, whether anything comes from that or not, just that you were willing to do that and actively doing it, not just saying that you were going to. So yeah, thank you for that. And also the pod doing the collaborating and also collaborating with Tara and Kate for the festival was, you know, one of your ideas. So yeah, thank you. Pleasure. So I'd love to go deeper um, and to touch on some more things, but we don't have too long. So if there's sort of one key thing uh, that you're wanting to sort of share at the moment, one thought for those in the innovation ecosystem, is there something that you'd like to say? It's a very broad question. So I think the the piece of, I don't want to use the word advice, but the, the offering that I might give yeah. is that a quick no is better than a fake yes. And I think I mentioned that through the week. The number yeah, of times yeah. that I've been in situations where people have nodded and smiled at me and gone, oh, yeah. And really what they meant was, oh, please go away. I would have much rather if they said, please go away, because it would have saved me a whole lot of time and energy. And that's sometimes really hard to hear for us when we're really passionate about what we're doing or we're new and we've got this idea and we want to do something. But there's two pieces to that. One, just because one person said no doesn't mean it's a no from everybody. Yeah. Um, so if you're the person that heard and, you know, don't think that's going to be no from everybody, it's just no from that individual. And actually thank that individual for being so quick to give you that no. Yeah. They may regret that in future. They may think later, oh man, I wish I'd have said yes to Elisha because look at what he's doing now. But two things, just because somebody gives you a no, don't let it be, don't let it be the only thing that you hear. Keep asking, keep talking, keep sharing, keep connecting. And for those who are in a position of some sort of power around funding or investment or whatever it might be, the quicker you can give a no, the kinder that actually is. Brené Brown has a saying, you know, clear is kind, unclear is unkind. Yeah. And I think, you know, how do we get clear quickly? Because that's actually the kindest thing we can do for our startups and founders. 
It's great dating advice as well. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, thank you. Now, as we finish, we're here, as we mentioned, at the Tropical Innovation Festival. So if you were to finish this sentence, the Tropical Innovation Festival is, what would you say? I would say the Tropical Innovation Festival is, I'm going to use hyphenated because it won't be just one word, is empowering, is the Tropical Innovation Festival is um, the best that the innovation ecosystem has to offer. That was one sentence you said yeah. I could use, no, right? That's right? So the Tropical Innovation Festival is the best, is our innovation ecosystem at its best. Yeah, that's amazing. And what do you think makes it different? Look, I think the team that organise it, obviously, are, are acutely aware of what the community needs. I think Kate and Tara work really hard to curate a program that has something for all of us. I think the location, you know, actually physically the venue and the location and having it somewhere like this is really important. So I think it is really a magic recipe of what we've got. And look, I genuinely think, you know, the regions do it well, right? So I think part of the reason this works is it's regional people creating something and, and therefore it's solving the problems that we actually want to talk about. Yeah, I love that. Well, thank you, Julia, for coming on and sharing some of your thoughts and your time. Well done, Elijah. Love your work and I'm always happy to support you. And we'll see you next time. You will.